Climate change is a pressing global issue, but how will it affect clean technology and the way that we talk about it? We got perspectives from both sides of the Atlantic. Welcome to episode 25 of Sideload. Welcome to Siloed, the technology podcast from Edelman London, where we look at how technologies impact the way we communicate, um, our relationship with brands and each other, and ultimately society. My name is Mariana Fekina. This episode is number 25, and today we will be looking at how a country's political focus affects clean tech communications. And we have perspectives from the UK and US as countries with different political agendas uh, as this could affect how clean tech is communicated, the need of it, and the public's perception. So with us today we have Ellie Best, a counteractor in the Edelman London office specializing in clean tech and uh, social purpose, as well as Joey Marquardt, um, senior vice president in the Edelman Silicon Valley office specializing in clean tech and social innovation. So thank you both for being here. Thank you for having us. Happy to be here. Very good. So first off, I thought it would be very interesting to kind of get the different viewpoints from the US and the UK um, as these countries have a little bit of a different political standpoint on climate policies and um, and clean tech. So with that, could um, each of you maybe elaborate a little bit about what these differences might be? So, while it hasn't always been the case, um, in general, uh, the current UK political standpoint on clean tech is very positive, um, and that's especially the case when it's framed in the context of economic growth. Um, So achieving clean growth while ensuring an affordable energy supply for both businesses and consumers sits at the heart of uh, the UK's current industrial strategy, um, and that's alongside leadership in future mobility, um, as well as AI and the data revolution. Um, and this is because the government recognised that clean growth will um, not only inc- increase productivity, um, but also things like creating good jobs, boosting earning power for people across the country, helping protect the climate um, and the environment that ultimately we and future generations depend on. Um, So to this end, the government last year published its clean growth strategy um, and that sets out uh, government proposals for decarbonising all sectors of the UK economy. So that's over the next decade um, and basically explains how the whole country can benefit from low carbon opportunities while also meeting national and international commitments to tackle climate change. Um, Another thing I wanted to mention was that this year also sees the 10th anniversary of the UK Climate Change Act. Um, And the introduction of that Climate Change Act a decade ago was instrumental in setting the direction of travel as well as the long-term ambition needed to foster clean growth for the UK. So as part of that, successive governments have been challenged um, by five-yearly carbon budgets to meet greater and greater emissions reductions while also growing the UK economy. And as a result, there have been various support mechanisms um, like the current Contracts for Difference, Um, which were legislated in the UK Energy Act back in 2013 uh, that have provided a framework for clean tech investors, renewable um, developers and supply chain partners uh, to help build globally competitive clean industries in the UK. Um, And there have been 
some quite significant bumps in the road along the way, um, which dented both industry and consumer trust. Um, and there have been uh, mixed opinions about funding mechanisms available for different technologies as well. Um, but overall, the political picture for UK clean tech is definitely a positive one at present. Well, that is definitely very good <laughs> to hear. Um, and obviously, Joey, the political um, climate, if you will, in the US uh, has changed a little bit. Um, so how would you say the viewpoint is in the US in comparison to, uh, to the UK? Sure. I, I would say that the U.S. Um, fell off track, that the U.K. is still very much on track with um, some really important goals that, um, that the United States was also on track with just, just three years ago. Um, we, we were very aggressively funding and scaling clean tech in the United States. Um, partially at a government level, um, we had, you know, President Obama's very large um, stimulus program when he first took office, which essentially, um, you know, funded many early stage clean tech ventures as well as um, adoption of clean technologies by federal agencies and and research and development by federal agencies. Um, and a few years into his presidency, the Environmental Protection Agency, the EPA, they also um, began to make some very important moves in terms of regulating um, automobile mileage and auto efficiency and um, trying to get the rest of the country up to the scale of auto efficiency that the state of California and Massachusetts and some of our northeast progressive states had been at. Uh, meanwhile, the EPA was also taking an important look at uh, utility emissions and had developed a clean power plan, the CPP, which would have drastically reduced carbon emissions from power generation sources. And an important thing to know about the CPP, um, and apologies for the history lesson, I think it's important to kind of look back before I tell you where we're at today, which is a little bleaker. Um, the, the CPP um, really was actually like going where the market was going anyway. Um, utilities were already uh, cutting their emissions thanks to transitions to natural gas and, and renewable energy, and so as, as well as energy efficiency. So um, the, the Clean Power Plan, yes, it did uh, require that utilities cut their emissions significantly, but it also was um, tracking with where the market was moving. Um, now, that's that's you know, all of the great stuff that was going on. I didn't even mention some of the um, nice, um, you know, public lands protection acts or water protection acts that were also, um, you know, promulgated during that time. But needless to say, um, when President Trump was elected, part of his, what he perceives as his mantle uh, for, um, you know, his, his, his presidency is rolling back almost everything that President Obama did. And, um, you know, sometimes it's because he, he actually disagrees with it. And other times, um, you know, his own aides and analysts uh, say it, it's simply a matter of principle because Obama had had done it and he wants to undo it. So, 
what we see here is the clean power plant is completely on hold. It's stuck in um, our, our, our court system. The Supreme Court may be hearing the case. So utilities do not have to um, adhere to the clean power plan that was developed. Um, so there's that. Um, there's been you know some water regulations that have been rolled back so that it's easier for certain um, chemical facilities to uh, not necessarily have to comply with the strict water rules. Um, a lot of our public lands have been scaled back. Um, and then there's the auto efficiency thing. Um, so this is currently playing out now in a very public way where the president's uh, administration has said um, that the 54 miles per gallon auto efficiency regulations that Obama's EPA had been proposing are far too stringent, are going to hurt the automobile industry, but also going to hurt the American consumer by making cars more expensive. Um, a lot of research has shown that that's not necessarily the case, but it is the argument they're going with. And so um, not only is the EPA um, rolling back its rules on that, but it uh, it also is challenging California's right to assert its own auto efficiency standards. Um, California has always enjoyed the, the privilege of setting its own automobile efficiency standards, which, you know, are, are quite progressive, and uh, many other states follow their lead, and at the moment, um, you know, the administration is challenging California's ability to, to do that, and if that succeeds, then you've got a situation where where, um, you know, things like not just efficient cars, but um, electric vehicles look perhaps less attractive uh, for automobile manufacturers to make and for consumers to buy. So um, we're, we're at this moment where we're hearing a lot more about beautiful, clean coal and nuclear power um, from the presidency. And um, when they do talk about clean tech, to be fair, and this is the last thing I'll say before, <laughs> before letting you go back, um, when they do talk about clean tech, they talk about funding very early stage research. And that has not disappeared. And, and you know, I'm glad to say that at least, that, you know, our um, national labs that do very early stage R&D funding still have funding to do clean tech research. And that is exactly where the administration thinks that public funding should go. Well, definitely thank you for for the background. I think that's really interesting, and especially the point about the early stage research that that's still uh, going on. So that's you know definitely a good sign. Um, and kind of with the with the changes that's happening um, that's happened in the last three years, um, do you think that the the need and the type of clean tech communications for your clients have um, changed? And if so, what challenges has, uh, has come with this? Yes, the need for the type of communications our clean tech clients require and should do has changed. Mm. Um, the way that that's changed is, um, I mean, so the common struggle for these companies in communicating their, their value and um, engaging with the public um, you know, from from the Obama administration to now, has been communicating the ability of these companies to scale and commercialize their um, technologies, and um, that's that's not changed. Mm. Um, what has changed, though, is this this perception by investors, um, as well as potential customers and politicians, that 
these technologies might not have uh, as much of a home in the United States as they did before. And so I'm thinking of solar right now, where um, we have enacted solar tariffs, which, you know, in the United States is certainly not the only one to do that, but um, but we have some, some uh, solar tariffs that are making it more expensive for solar installers and solar developers here to uh, install and build, you know, solar installations. And with that, it just it drives up the cost of solar a little bit, um, not significantly, but it does drive it up exactly at a time where we're trying to show um, the cost parity of solar um, and the ROI on solar. And so those tariffs throw a little bit of a wrench into any company trying to communicate around solar in the United States because <clears throat> if you're going with a U.S. only message, you have to explain how your your business model <clears throat> and um, the way you're going to grow is going to succeed without with or without tariffs. Um, now, um, for other companies that might have a global presence and, and, and you know, U.S. companies that might be um, doing business in other parts of the world, they have it a little bit better with their story and um, their communications efforts because they can pivot a little bit and talk about the global markets more, you know, the solar that they're doing in India, in mm -hmm. Africa, etc., and really show the world that um, their story is not limited to the U.S. alone at a time where, you know, the U.S. market is less certain than it used to be. So I think that that's one way that like communications challenges have changed in, 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 this, in this world. Um, and I think the other thing that is changing is this idea that you, you might need to pick a side. Mm. Um, and this is especially true for big corporates. Amazon or Google or um, Facebook or Twitter or, or Walmart, Target, these, com these brands that are deploying renewable energy in massive scales um, are, are, you know, in increasingly needing or feeling they need to pick a side in, uh, to show their own customers that they won't be slowed down by any sort of public perceptions wrought on by the Trump administration that, you know, renewables are a waste of money or um, things like that. And so yeah. that's something that's new today and a new communications challenge is how do you take a brand and pick a side? Um, you know, we are for renewable energy. We are for, um, you know, uh, it, dealing with climate change. I mean, these things didn't used to be controversial, uh, but now they've taken on an, an era controversy because of the tribalism that we see here where to, to just say those things immediately pits one camp against you that does not believe in climate change. And we can talk more about that. I know you have a question about climate change later. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I think those are some of the challenges. Yeah, that's definitely uh, very interesting as well and, and how how it puts a strain on companies to, I guess, signal to their consumers or customers as well. And um, bringing it back to the UK, to you, Ellie, how do you think the UK climate for clean tech comms has evolved? So I think it's important to start by referencing the kind of massive technological advances that we've seen in clean tech over the last few years. Um, and I think the offshore wind sector in particular is a great example to pick out here of how, um, just how quickly an industry can evolve and with it 
the comms environment for that technology can evolve too. Um, so just in terms of background, um, as a nation we now boast the largest installed offshore wind base in the world um, and excitingly the technology is already price competitive with conventional forms of energy generation uh, but without the harmful emissions. Um, and last year alone Britain accounted for more than half of the new offshore wind power capacity built in Europe um, which made up uh, something like 53% of the entire capacity installed across the continent which is obviously massive. Um, and when the, the economics of technology changed that dramatically, um, clean tech stops being a nice to have and becomes mm. a much more obvious good news story about innovation, cost reduction um, and fostering new ways of thinking to drive progress more generally. Um, I think that said, the challenge of, kind of snappily relating what can often be um, very business to business and sometimes niche um, clean tech stories to the consumer agenda um, that then in turn often drives editorial agendas um, remains. Um, there's also the added challenge when it comes to clean tech that energy is obviously invisible. Um, so a lot of what we focus on in terms of messaging is about dramatizing the benefits of what energy actually enables. Um, and in that sense, I think it's also important to think about um, communications in the context of the global growing recognition um, that universal actions required. So from COP21 and the signing of the Paris Agreement to the UN Sustainable Development Goals, um, a bar has been set for companies to rise to. Um, and exactly to Joey's point, accordingly, accordingly we're seeing that um, clean tech is increasingly becoming a marker um, of a business's wider social purpose. Um, so when I say that, um, I basically mean that the businesses working with clean tech companies get a reflected reputational benefit, um, whether that's because they've signed a power purchase agreement with a solar developer to source 100% green energy, um, in the same way that lots of companies with big energy footprints like large data centres have done um, in order to make their energy supplies totally carbon neutral, um, or because they're working with an innovator who's developed, say, a new way to recycle previously unrecyclable materials. Um, but essentially, there's growing global consensus that action is required um, and there are massive stakeholder ex expectations of businesses to take this um, to take this action and added to that the crucial kicker is that this drives commercial value too so that's definitely something really interesting that we're seeing at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. It seems like for both in the US and the UK there are increasing um, stakeholder expectations so that's all good signals I'd say. Yeah, there was a um, recent Harvard Business Review study that showed that 58% of purpose-led companies saw significant revenue growth, um, while 42% of non-purpose companies had flat or declining revenues across the same time period. So, yeah, in terms of, kind of commercial rationale, that's definitely there too. Okay, we are now going to take a quick break to listen back to episode 24, where we spoke with Edelman Global Technology Chair about whether we're falling out of love with Silicon Valley. Money is not the problem. I think there is a lot of money to be invested, and Silicon Valley is still one of the, you know, the most preferred locations to invest. But the speed of investment is definitely coming down. And that's because of two reasons. One, um, somehow you, you get the feeling that the kind of problems that, you know, the companies in Silicon Valley are trying to solve are a bit detached 
from the real world problems. They're kind of living in a bubble of their own and trying to create niche needs for which they're solving, but not really solving the real issues that you know the people in the country or the world are facing. So have they become so, a bit detached from reality, do you think? they have most certainly become detached from reality. So if you look at most of the success stories, we talk about Facebook, we talk about Snapchat. I mean, we're talking about social, right? So yes, there is a certain element of, you know, a need that it fills and, and there is you know, utility in it, but it's not really solving a, a real world problem in any meaningful way. And welcome back to Sideload. Um, now, I wanted to look into what impact uh, do you think that the U.S. political climate position has had on clean tech companies specifically and how uh, they communicate? Uh, so maybe if, um, Joey, you could start this one off. Sure, absolutely. Um, one way that these companies have needed to communicate because of the climate is <clears throat> um, thinking of at the state level or the local level, and this is for when they're communicating within the United States. So, um, like dividing their messages from California to Kansas to Minnesota to New York, right, and making sure that there are um, even more state-focused than before. Because at the state level, there is much less disagreement about the importance of clean tech. At the state level, there is much more support depending upon the state. Mm. And so this, you know, the, the local politics in the U.S., are not as, um, I would call it perhaps clean tech averse or uh, clean tech antagonistic, right? Like, they're not quite like that. Uh, yeah. the, the, the local politics um, still resemble normalcy in some ways. It's so um, localizing the, the, the message is, is certainly one, one way that clean tech companies are having to, or, you know, wisely choosing to um, change their stance. Um, I think another thing, without, in the absence of, like, political support for this, mm -hmm. and this is something that Ellie just mentioned, um, is focusing on the customer experience and why these technologies are irresistible to your life in, in some way, which is definitely a challenge when, you, when you're dealing with something invisible like energy. Um, but, uh, you know, that, that is something that um, several clean tech companies are, are doing is focusing even more on what is irresistible about what they offer um, to their customers or, or the consumers. And when you pivot that way and focus a bit more on like the value you're creating to the customer and the consumer, you're you know, able for some companies to, to bridge that gap and go straight to the consumer. Um, you know, what, one interesting thing is that, you know, voters skew older in the United States yeah. and consumers skew younger. And so when you focus more on the consumer experience in whatever way that you can, even if you're a B2B company, mm. um, you might be helping yourself out, right? Because you are uh, focusing on an audience that is much more receptive to your message. Um, 
you know, it should be noted that a lot of the folks that, um, you know, maybe don't understand or appreciate clean tech um, in the U.S. tend to be of an older voter demographic, and a lot of Trump supporters are an older demographic. And, um, you know, I know that sort of divide between younger and older voters probably might resonate a little bit in the U.K. as well. Um, And I think that that's, you know, another way that that companies are changing their stance. Um, I think also that um, they've had to think about their own funding differently. Um, In the absence of, like, the government believing climate change is a problem, they're certainly not funding, um, like, mid-stage companies and helping companies commercialize. And so you see a pivot towards um, commercial investors, um, you know, strategic partners that can help you um, scale. So, you know, whether that's, you know, Google helping you scale or, or you know, even, you know, Dow Chemical um, helping you scale, this, the corporate investor, um, like, stance and position has as intensified in the absence of, of government focus. And I think one last thing, um, looking at the political environment around climate change, you've got this situation where there's active antagonism and tribalism um, when you even talk about the topic. And when when that's the case, uh, companies have to think about uh, what Edelman talks about in his trust barometer. We trust people like me, right? We trust our peers. And if you're dealing with a tribal environment around something like climate change, um, companies are, are realizing that they have to think about their own stakeholders um, in a very focused way to understand how to reach them through uh, and with people like themselves. Yeah, so just to add to um, what you just said, Joey, I think, um, well, yeah, obviously I completely agree with everything you said, and obviously the direct impacts um, of the U.S. political position are felt less keenly in the UK than the US Um, but if anything I think there's just the general point that it's galvanised people behind a mission for change Um, so it's just that impetus to explain the benefits that are brought to bear um, by clean tech companies of like you know all scales whether it's um, yeah a big business um, scaling smaller innovations or whether it's a small startup um, with a mission for change Um, it's just that kind of general drive Mm. feels like it's very present. Yeah, definitely. I do agree. Um, And looking at the climate challenges that we are facing today, um, how do you think that this will affect the public's views and positioning on clean tech, as in before recycling might used to be seen as more of an environmental issue only, whereas now it's positioned as more relevant for everyone what would be your kind of views on that, Ellie? Yeah, so I think um, environmental issues are undoubtedly further up the public agenda now, mm-hmm. um, both in terms of overall awareness um, and also the demand for action to be taken to, to address those issues. Um, and I think programmes like Blue Planet in particular um, have played a massive role in bringing previously distant issues like um, like things like plastic waste in our oceans that we as individuals don't see in our day-to-day um, but those programs have brought them literally into our living rooms um, and yeah have a massive role to play in this um, increased awareness um, 
and I think it's also interesting to mention here so last year with um, with a client we undertook the world's largest survey of attitudes into green energy um, and the results were really interesting on many fronts but especially in showing that contrary to the often received wisdom um, support for renewables isn't actually just an attitude of um, of the young and liberal and liberal rather um, so in the UK um, found that 82% of people said that they believed that it was really important to create a world fully powered by green energy and that was regardless of their age their education or their political ideology um, and interestingly leadership in clean tech was also found to be a driver of national pride um, and I think this shift in public opinion opens up so many interesting conversations and and new routes when it comes to communicating about clean and, and innovative technology. Yeah, that's definitely very impressive and, and very interesting how that is in regardless or in regards to age uh, age as well as gender. Yeah, yeah. so age, um, gender, education and political ideology. And I think it's, it's just the assumption that... Um, clean tech and so social innovation more generally mm -hmm. are a partisan issue and I yeah. think what that showed is that actually that's far less the case than we might think. Yeah absolutely I mean 82% is definitely an impressive an impressive number for sure um, and what about you Joy? So um, you know uh, I'm thinking of a survey before I totally answer the question that um, you know, in some ways is heartening, in some ways isn't. Um, there was a survey in the United States that looked at climate deniers. I think it was conducted by um, uh, Columbia University. Mm -hmm. And um, it showed that 12% of the U.S. population were active climate change deniers, um, which struck me as as an unacceptably large number, um, it's just—it's not—it's not just folks that maybe don't think it's important. Um, there's a there's a very large percentage of that, but these are people that actually say it doesn't exist. So 12% to me just seems like a disheartening number when we're thinking about the climate change challenges we're facing today, um, that same survey said that 31% that of U.S. respondents never discussed climate change. Um, obviously, these people must not be living in, in, in areas with rising waters or extreme drought, right? Like, they must have a very privileged existence to never discuss it. But, but nonetheless, you know, um, you know these, these stats kind of struck me as, wow, like, you know, we're being faced with the very real consequences of climate change. Um, our wildfire season in 2018 was disastrous and it's continuing to destroy mm. um, communities, especially in the American West. Um, our drought conditions have been um, pretty awful for farmers in many parts of the countries. And, um, you know, look at what happened in Puerto Rico with, um, you know, 6,000 people being without uh, power for 
so long it took you know a, a long that that's a separate issue of how long it took us to get them power back but yeah. i mean um so the the the, uh, the storm surge and the increasing um you know um fierceness of storms is certainly you would think enough for people to um to really want to face this challenge and and i guess if you flip that number that does mean you know if 12 percent think that you know they're denying climate change i guess that leaves a good 88 percent who are not denying it and that's something we can work with um and so you know and and not to be all doom and gloom um you know there's a lot of parts of this country that people are doing very important things and in california by 2045 that state is going to be 100 percent carbon neutral yeah that's amazing so that you know, that's fantastic. But back to your question, though, how do you think it will affect public views positioning on clean tech? I think they'll increasingly think about how climate change is impacting their risk um, in, in life and, the, you know, the fact that, like, climate change might hurt their business or their home. And so they'll think about, um, you know, things like risk and insurance and resilience and adaptation. Yeah. And as they think through those things, I think they'll see the technologies that, that are helping defray those risks as less fringe, right, and, and more a part of survival. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, definitely keeps changing. and with what those risks are and, and what they need to uh, maybe do a little bit differently. Um, and what direction do you see, um, I guess, the future of clean tech uh, go in each of your regions? And um, are there any main challenges specifically that you see coming? So I think at the kind of very highest level, um, I think we will see much more in terms of new developments in transport and heat in mm. particular coming. Um, coming down the line in the next few decades and I think advances in batteries and fuel cells will be an important component of this um, but also considering the kind of wider infrastructure that will be required um, and just the kind of basic fact that the investment needed in order to um, properly decarbonise heat and transport will be enormous um, but then again when you reflect on the scale of what's been achieved in the last 10 years um, I think it's very exciting really to think about what might be achieved in the next 10 um, and that particularly when you then put that back in context of exactly what we were talking about in the previous question about um, of rising public awareness of these issues and obviously there are still the kind of awareness action barriers um, mm -hmm. that need to or divides that need to be bridged um, but overall I think it's very exciting. It is very exciting, I agree. And um, in the U.S.? Um, I totally agree about transportation. I think that transportation is a very exciting vehicle, if you will, for um, the growth of clean tech. Um, you know, the, the nice thing about this question is I get to think about the future beyond, you know, um, who's in the White House right now. And that, that future is still trending in the right direction. I think that um, electric vehicles, even hydrogen cars, um, other advanced mobility options, um, whether that's e-bikes or electric scooters or, you know, the ride sharing, like all of these things, um, I think are only going to accelerate as, as each year goes on. And I think that, um, you know, this generation of people that are coming up into um, the age where they can have driver's licenses, more and more of those folks are choosing either to not get licenses 
or or to just drive in a different way than their parents did. And I think that, you know, the future for transportation is really exciting, and I think a lot of innovation is going to happen around it, whether that is the battery, like Ellie said, um, <clears throat> of course the cars themselves, but also the systems, um, the connected car systems that, um, you know, essentially digitalize the car and connect it to um, the home or, or buildings or, or cities. Cities is another area that I see uh, the future of clean tech going. I think that, you know, the smart city movement is a really powerful one for clean tech. And um, more and more cities want to be perceived as smart and to uh, digitalize their operations or, or even just have smarter processes for their cities to be leaner and more efficient. And I think the opening for clean technologies, whether that is um, you know, smart grid technologies or, or you know, building controls, um, smart traffic controls, or even like smart materials for the buildings and roads themselves, like all of that, um, and renewable energy too, right? Like whether that's panels on houses or community solar, um, you know, just outside of the neighborhood. Um, I think that um, there's a lot of exciting uh, things opened up by the, the smart city uh, trend. And, and lastly, I think that we're going to see a lot more in water. I think that water is a bit of a sleeper issue. Um, mm. And a lot of clean tech companies working in water are dealing with a very fragmented market and um, not all corporates have come alive to like the, the amazing things they can do with reusing wastewater. So I think that, you know, we've seen a lot on renewable energy and transportation in our clean tech narrative thus far. I think that we will see more in water, particularly in my region, which is so drought stricken. Um, so those are some of the, ch the the changes I see coming, and you know the challenges like that are very similar to the challenges we've already discussed in this podcast. You know, as these changes happen, um, you have to communicate how you're scaling and funding. You have to deal with um, a, a tribal audience. You have to. Um, one thing we haven't talked about is um, activate non-governmental third parties and big corporates to be on your side. Um, you know, at, uh, having those those people that will vouch for you is going to become even more important as we try to um, bring more of these technologies to scale. Throughout the podcast, we've definitely covered a lot of great signals. Uh, there seems to be a lot of demand for action, uh, as well as demand from stakeholders and consumers as well for companies to um, take action um, in regards to the climate challenges that we are facing. Um, regardless of the the political climate, so that's definitely you know a good a good point to be in moving forward. Um, so thanks again to both of you and uh, to you, Joey for dialing in from the U.S. and for uh, everyone who was tuning in. And if you want to get in touch, please do email sideload at edelman.com. <laughs>